If you only associate mead with Norse gods and Chaucer, you're in for a surprise. Mead, an alcohol drink made with fermented honey, is having something of a renaissance with help from people like Lily Weisberger, CEO and head mead maker at Oren Moore Artisan Mead in Roseburg. We'll learn about the business and the drink in the latest edition of The Ground Floor with our host, Cynthia Schur. You're listening to The Ground Floor on Jefferson Public Radio. I'm your host, Cynthia Schur, and today we're speaking with Lily Weischberger, who is the CEO of Oren Moore Artisan Mead up in Roseburg. Uh, welcome, Lily. Hi, it's great to be here with you guys today. Well, it's wonderful to get to talk to you again. Uh, I met Lily at the Ashland Chocolate Festival a few weeks ago, uh, where I was lucky enough to taste uh, several varieties of mead that she produces. Mead is a is a really ancient beverage, and you know I know that it's a fermented honey beverage, but I don't know a whole lot more about it other than I've seen it mentioned in the Canterbury Tales and in Shakespeare. Um, can you tell us a little bit about you know first what mead is, and then uh, how you started making it? Uh, so mead is the world's oldest alcohol. Um, it's made from honey rather than grapes or grains. Um, it predates beer and wine by a really long time. Um, so if you think about um, wine and beer having been around about 8,000 years, um, for a long time we thought we had been around about 9,000, but there's current archaeology that places it more in the realms of 40,000 years older than we've been making mead compared to the more recent wine and beers. So it's got a very, very ancient history, and that's Personally, really fascinating. It's one of the reasons I got into mead making. I love history. I love mythology. And, and mead is everywhere. Like you said, it's Canterbury Tales and all the old stories. And, and that always piqued my interest as a child. Oh, how how interesting. And so if it's that old, I'm wondering, you know, just how many ingredients does it take to make mead? I mean, how does one ferment honey? On the simplest level, it's it's honey, water, and yeast. You know, we pretty much figured that mead was stumbled across by our earliest ancestors because at that time, you know, honey was one of the few concentrated sugar sources. And with bees being wild and having their hives in, you know, old trees, we suspect that that uh, honey from some hive dripped down into the bowl of the tree and it rained and the wild yeast came along and naturally fermented it and somebody had the uh, the courage to try it and said, oh, my God, we've got a gift from the gods here. You know? <laughs> um, Joey likes it. And then <laughs> Joey likes it. Joey's acting real interesting. <laughs> it's very, um, very simple at its core, being honey, water, and yeast. But then over over the centuries, as human beings, we tend to complicate things. So everything you can imagine has been thrown into that concoction over the years from fruit to spices, to flowers. So there's a lot of conversation in the meat industry, and we talk about traditional meat being honey, water, yeast. And that can range from, you know, dry to off-sweet to syrupy, heavy sweet, from lower alcohol all the way up to like 20-something percentage alcohol. Um, it's a very broad category, and I think that's one of the things that people don't realize is that it's as broad or broader than wine or beer in that respect. In America, we talk about a traditional being just the simple um, honey-based one, but traditional really depends on what part of the country or, or part of the world uh, you're, you're referring to. 
And so that's the other really cool thing about mead is that it is the most multicultural of alcohols. Every country, every continent that has had access to honeybees has had their own version of mead. You know, when you say the mead industry, like how big is the mead industry? It sounds like it's made all over the world, but, you know, it's a it's a sort of um, unusual for here. Well, actually, the, the fascinating thing is we're having a bit of a renaissance. So, you know, when I first started getting into mead, I started homebrewing, uh, was about 17 years ago. Wow. And at the time, there was about 90 meaderies in the country. I think we're up over 500 now, averaging a new meadery a week. Uh, across the country, and it has become one of the fastest-growing sectors of the alcohol industry. Um, And the funny thing is is that we have more meteries in the U.S. than any other country that I am aware of currently. So if you go to Europe, which I just came back from a trip to France, um, I was only able to find reference to maybe a handful of meteries in the whole country. So, you know, granted, we are a very large country, but um, one of the projects that I worked on is I went over to Wales and helped start a meadery there. Because at the time, while there were a couple of meaderies in the country, the individual running the project couldn't find couldn't find somebody with the knowledge and background that he wanted to kind of bring the mead industry in, in Britain and in Wales to a new level. So, so you I both kind of went over. And, so, so you teach as well as uh, run your own meadery? I do. I do. I, yeah, um, I got involved very early on in my uh, mead career with the UC Davis Bee and Pollination Center, which runs a mead program. So I've been involved with them now for five or six years and have been teaching for the last three. So you mentioned UC Davis, well known for its agriculture. What does it take in terms of honey? What does it take to make uh, good mead? What are you looking for when you're sourcing honey? So for myself personally, I'm extremely uh, particular when it comes to sourcing honey. Uh, One of the things that a lot of people aren't really aware of is that about 70% of the honey uh, available on the grocery store shelves in this country is not actually honey. A large percentage of it has been cut with high fructose corn syrup, beet syrup, rice syrup. Anything that's been shipped in out of China or India is... uh, extremely suspect. And so when people, a lot of people come to me and they'll say, oh, I don't like honey. And so, well, where do you get your honey? And they're like, oh, the grocery store. I said, no, you, you don't like high fructose corn syrup. I don't either. <laughs> and I certainly don't want it in my mead. So all of our honeys are varietal honeys. So when the bees are foraging, uh, if they are foraging a predominant floral source, so say they take the hives out into the orange orchards, then we can get orange blossom honey, which will be a varietal honey um, that'll be very much affected by the influence of the nectar from the orange trees. It smells like walking in an orange orchard in the springtime. And then you compare that to a mesquite blossom honey from the desert, which is smoky and spicy and dark, rich, uh, completely different. So all of our honeys for our mead are varietal honeys or they're single source wildflower honeys from a particular region. And that changes from year to year, season to season. Uh, each year is going to be unique. And what I do is I get that honey in, I taste it, and then I pair it with whatever fruit or spices or flowers I'm going to ferment it with, and we come up with a very unique creation. Wow, it sounds just about as varied as, as wine grapes. Uh, you're listening to The Ground Floor on Jefferson Public Radio. You can find us online at jeffexchange.org. Lily, fascinating to uh, think about different vintages of mead uh, and mm-hmm. the different flavors that you can get just through the natural 
process of fermenting honeys that come from different sources. But I noticed when you were at the chocolate festival, you also have a lot of different flavors. Yeah. What are some of the, the what are some of the flavors that you also produce? And and I may not be using the right word, but I, I seem to remember a strawberry mead. We did have a strawberry mead. We had a um, strawberry and eucalyptus blossom honey mead which I know sounds like a very strange combination, but actually is really beautiful. So the eucalyptus blossom honey um, is an organic honey that we got out of South America. So you can't really get organic honeys in the U.S. We don't have the square mileage that is USDA organic approved. Hmm. Um, Most of the organic honeys do come out of South America because they have actually two to five square miles that they can have approved organic. Wow, Um, so it takes two to five square miles to get... Yeah. Approved organic honey, huh? Yeah, and that's just something. There's only one place in the U.S., and that's on the Big Island in Hawaii um, that can produce organic honey. So in this case, the eucalyptus blossom is an extremely fruity uh, honey, and then we paired that with Willamette Valley strawberries and made a beautiful um, mead that we call Freya's Draught. It won gold and best of class at the first Taste of Oregon this year, so we are very pleased with that. Oh wow! So you've you've won awards. I saw some of that on on your website. What what do you look mm-hmm. what What do you think they're looking for in a gold cup winner for mead? What What are the characteristics um, or qualities? I think they're looking for for um, meads that are true to the varietal of the honey um, that are expressing the honey first and foremost. That whatever fruit or spices are then complementing and balancing that. Um, they're looking for quality of production, so no, no noticeable flaws. Um, you know, a balance in honey flavor and tannins and acidity, and you know, I mean, every I think every group of judges has their own kind of bent on what they think meat is. I think that's part of what our challenge is in this country is is setting kind of a gold standard of what what is that level of quality. Um, working with the UC Davis program on kind of setting those standards. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, with, with something like the major cup, which we won gold at before as well, um, they're an international mead competition, um, and judge meads from all over the world. Mm-hmm. And they definitely have their, their roster of, you know, they look at clarity, they look at flavor, they look at bouquet, they look at any, you know, potential flaws in the process. Um, and then they have a point system, much like wine Mm-hmm. Um, that they go through, and, and so you know, you've got your your whole your whole process is very similar to that. Right, right. Well, I mean, I know there are great days when you win gold medals, but anybody in business usually faces a few challenges. What are some of the hurdles that you faced in establishing a meadery? Oh boy, um, a huge hurdle has just been education, and a lot of people have not had me. Um, or they have had needs that they did not enjoy the experience of. Um, you know, a lot of times people say, oh, yeah, I've, I've had me before. I didn't like it. And I go, well, what what didn't you like about it? And they go, oh, well, it was, you know, super, super sweet and heavy, or it was bitter and bone dry. Um, and those are certainly two ends of the spectrum that we run into a lot. Um, I think one of the things that we're running into with the meat industry is, you know, the wine industry has had the last hundred years of um, study in terms of um, chemistry and understanding what goes into good winemaking on a scientific level. And the meat industry is way behind that. We're just starting to kind of figure those things out. Yeah, and just just the number of 
factors with each honey being different um, makes for a lot of a lot of unknowns, a lot of wonderful surprises, and a lot of like, hmm, well, that didn't quite go this way. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Right. Um, and, and, you know, it's a great opportunity, but it, it definitely has our challenges. Um, sourcing is a big one, mm-hmm. you know, finding quantity that we need because we use uh, anywhere from 600 to 1,000 pounds of honey per batch. Right. And you're importing a lot of that from South America, you said. Uh, yeah, and most of our honeys are local. So oh, that's okay. one thing is we do try to get most of our honeys local, mm-hmm. um, as local as possible and apiary direct if possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and if we do get it from out of the country, then we, we have, you know, lab certifications that we put those honeys through to make sure that they are what they say they are. So that's part of one of the challenges I have is I, I am not willing to use honeys that are not up to my, my level of, of excellence. Right. Um, just with a winemaker, you know, you wouldn't want, you know, subpar grapes if you're going to make a, a world-class wine, you know. Right. Do you want to just say uh, quickly what kind of distribution you have? Where's the, where is your product available? And uh, you know, uh, what hours are you open in Roseburg? Yep. We're open in Roseburg um, Sunday, or sorry, Thursday through Sunday, um, Noon to seven, six or seven, depending on the time of year, um, and then noon to five on Sunday, um, and then also by appointment. We are open by appointment. So if you give us a call and you're passing through, we'd be happy to open up for you with enough warning. Um, and then we're distributed, you know, self-distributed throughout uh, Oregon, um, and are increasing our distribution um, as we speak. Uh, we can ship to about 34 different states uh, direct to consumer. So that does allow us to get it out to people who are unfortunately not in Oregon. <laughs> um, and we do hope to uh, develop distribution in probably Washington and California next. Great, great. So it sounds like everybody within the JPR listening area could find your mead uh, someplace mm-hmm. in their local grocery stores or that you could ship there. Well, thank yep, you so absolutely. much for this really uh, fascinating and um you know, comprehensive conversation about mead and how you produce it and how you source the honey for it. Uh, really appreciate you taking the time to speak with us. It's my pleasure. Thanks so much for giving me the opportunity. Great. This is The Ground Floor on the Jefferson Exchange. You can find us online at jeffexchange.org or subscribe to this podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. <laughs>